Who's excited and ready to talk about some discipline? Come on. Well, that was actually more boisterous than I thought. I was going to look for some groans. All right. This is a rough group. Okay, it's going to be awesome. I, I'm, we're, we're ready to dive in on this. Hey, typically, nobody, nobody likes to talk about discipline. You ask any of your kids. The truth is, we're not much different than our kids. Nobody really loves the idea of discipline, but there's some power to it, and that's what this word wants to be able to bring to us. So we're going to dive in. Um, I, what we've discovered, I don't know if you're getting to be a part of this series, is this is, this is not, Hebrews is not the book you come to for warm fuzzies, right? It's just not. If you need warm fuzzies, there's Psalms, there's some good stuff out there, all right? And we can come to this Word of God with all of our needs. This is the book we come to when we're going, we're going through it, and how do we get through to the end? We're going through something difficult and hard. That's what was happening with this group of people that this pastor is writing to. He's saying, like, you're going through a rough moment, a rough season. You've been challenged. Your faith is seesawing back and forth. You don't feel like you can make it. And he is challenging and calling them up. And he's expounding on all the power of who God is in Christ. And the pastor's coming to them saying, listen, don't give up. Don't surrender. We know that you're walking through hardship, it's, but it's all worth it. And this pastor's asking them, I don't want you. Don't waver. Be firm. Stand firm and see that Jesus is better. He's the better way. He's the better leader. He's the better sacrifice. He's the better high priest. He's the better covenant. He's the better advocate. He's the better pastor. He's the better way. And nothing in all of life is going to outshine him. But you have to be willing to see him through the pain and through the hardship. And so the, the, this pastor, this writer, he's not uh, obtuse to what's happening to the people that Hebrews is talking to. He's not, he's not not understanding of what they're experiencing. He just wants to call them up. And so they needed a lens to be able to understand what they were going through and why they were going through it and what they can experience and learn and know from God as they begin to move forward. Okay, if we're going through this hardship, then how do we understand what's happening in this moment in our lives? How do we see it? What's the right lens for understanding this painful, difficult moment? And so this letter becomes this incredible resource to them and to us to begin to ask that question. If you're wrestling with faith, if you're wrestling with what you're walking through, if you might be asking, God, are you even hearing? Are you seeing what's going on in our lives as you walk through these difficult circumstances? That's what this letter gets to speak to. And it's for every one of us that are saying, hey, we need some understanding for what's happening. We need some understanding for what we're walking through. Going, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm damaged. My faith has been wounded right? And I'm going back and forth. And so I need to know why we're doing, why, why what is happening is happening. And I need to know that Jesus is worth it because it might be easier just to give up my faith and kind of go my own way and try to work out the thing for myself, right? To self-protect and to find other sources of comfort and try to figure out my own peace and try to put all that together for myself. And the pastor or the writer saying, don't, don't go that way. Listen and trust. And so he wants to put his people's feet on a rock and say, okay, let's stand firm. How do we stand firm when we walk through this? Because that's real life, right? 
I mean, you know, real life has some incredible challenges. It's tough at times. Not always, but it can be. And so how do, we, how do we interpret those challenging times? And so this pastor does what all good pastors do. He gives us a sports metaphor, thank God. All right, that's what he does. And so, and, and so if you're ever just trying to communicate to the human heart, just talk about sports. That's what I always say. But uh, so we're gonna turn, I want you to look at Hebrews 12. We're gonna look at it again, 12 verse one. And we're gonna see what he's trying to say to us. Therefore, since we're surrounded, we talked last week, this incredible cloud of witnesses, some saw the amazing things and the works of God, and then some literally lost their lives. And so we've been surrounded by this incredible cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us, what does it say? Run with endurance the race that is set before us. So here's a picture. And he says, all right, you and I are in a race. And it's going to take some endurance to go to the end. So he's actually saying, you want to do this faith in this amazing God. It's going to take some real moxie and willingness to go through it. Meaning, there's going to be some work involved. It's not going to be this like easy thing. There's going to be some things that have to be changed and transformed. There's going to be things that have to come to the surface. And I want you to be aware of what's going to have to take place as you and I walk with Christ. Right? There's powerful, beautiful uh, um, amazing things that we get in this faith, but there is a journey that we get to go through. So there is an enduring that we get to experience. It's going to require vision for the days ahead, and it's going to require training of our souls, of our hearts to get us there. Now, you guys, want, I love this uh, word race here. You want to guys want to know the Greek word is for race? Of course you do, because we all love to nerd out on the Greek lessons when we come to church, right? The Greek, yeah, somebody said, oh yeah, okay, good. The Greek word for race, agona. Sound like any word that you're familiar with? Agona? Agony. The word for race here is agony. And now I thought you were thinking, oh my gosh, this sermon's gonna be painful, all right? <laughs> Struggle. It's actual conflict. This word uh, gets used throughout the New Testament when Paul tells Timothy, when he says, hey, Timothy, you fight the good fight of faith. You know what he says? He says, you fight the good agona of faith. You fight the good fight. It's talking about struggle. It's talking about like putting up. In fact, actually, a, a better picture than race would be like boxing match, like real on struggle, real on put your dukes up and get ready to walk through because God has something to give to you as we walk in and through this. And so we, go, we get to move past this like pie in the sky idea and we just get to for a moment be with God and God be with us as we walk in this hardship, this difficult thing that we're facing, Right? And so the question is this, well, how do we run and how do we fight? That's the question. What does it actually look like to do that in our lives? And here's what the author and the pastor is going to say. By faith, you and I have to come to our perfection, Jesus. This is the beginning place of the struggle. Now, here's the good news. That struggle, that fighting, it's not in our flesh. It's not in our ability, is it? Because that's exhausting. 
Even as I talk about it, it goes, oh man, that feels exhausting. Here's where you're going. No, 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 no. Here's where this whole thing starts. Here's what you gotta do. Take your eyes off you for a moment and look. And we come to Jesus. We come to our sacrifice. We come to our advocate. We come to our righteousness. We come to our friend, Jesus. We start our run or we start our fight or we start our battle, our agony with endurance by watching and seeing the endurance of Jesus. And what the scriptures say is he's the one that you're running with. He's the one that you're running to. He's the one that you're running for. And we begin to see the king high and lifted up. What, what does that actually mean? Well, it says right in front of us, it says, well, here's what happened. You come to the author and perfecter of your faith who, what, endured the cross. Meaning this, Jesus was the first one to endure and go all the way to the end. What does that actually mean? That means this. He was willing to go and went into the worst terror, the worst hardship, his body on the cross, what we just celebrated, so that you and I could know that in our pain, we are not alone. In our pain, we are never, ever alone. Whenever you're walking through hardship, we get to look at the author and perfecter of our faith who endured so that we can know right now, if you're going, if you feel like God's a million miles away, he's like, nope, I'm right in this with you. And not only are we not alone, but we get to be released from that lie that somehow God has limits as to what he's willing to do for you and for me to meet with us, to be with us, to ransom us. What he's saying is this, I'm willing to go to the end and there's literally no limit. I'm not willing to go past in order to bring you to myself. This is his incredible promise. You might even be in a moment where you're going like, I don't feel like I can do this. And the Lord Jesus is saying, no, no, I go to whatever length that it takes to bring you near to me, to meet you in that place, to ransom you, to pull you in and to take you on this journey. This journey is not, hear this, it's not our journey. It's not our endurance. It's his. It's fully his So we come to him and say, you're the one who endured for me. You're the one who endured for me. And what was the result of his enduring? Here's what he did. He sat down at the right hand of the father. He rested. So this is beautiful and almost like paradoxical picture that's taking place where he says he endured And then he sat, or meaning he rested, sat down at the right hand of God. Meaning the point of our fight or the point of our race or the point of our struggle is to enter into the rest of God. The aim of our wrestle 
It's not, it's not like some days we have wrestle days and some days we have rest days. No, what he's saying is the point of the wrestle, the point of the race, the point of the battle, if you will, is to actually be able to enter into the rest of God, right? In the promises of God, not resting in the promises that come from sin and brokenness, but resting in the promises that come from God. That's where the wrestle actually is, is the call up to say, hey, there is a rest you and I can enter into when we go to the promises that he has for us. So much further past anything we could create for ourselves or the allure of sin and to say, I trust you and I'm coming with you and I'm walking with you because you're here with me, because you're willing to go to the limit. He endured the cross, went all the way to the end to call you and I into a place of rest in him. The endurance is for rest. And why is that important? Because we're going to come to this place where he's going to begin to give us some insight into why we experience the wrestle or what's actually happening, what's going on, right? Because what he's going to say here is not only does God want to meet us in pain and empathize and endure on, uh, for us on our behalf. But God, here, here's what the rest of the scripture is going to say, is God is so loving and so good and so kind. There, hear this. There is no pain and there is no hardship that you and I will experience that isn't full of his design and his purpose and his promise for us. In other words, God will and is using every moment for our good. Every moment of hardship, every moment of difficulty, the scripture saying there's a father who is purposing your good in it all, period. And he's working for us. If you go to chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So what? So that you and I won't grow weary or faint-hearted. Meaning looking again to him, the one who endured, and going, well, I don't feel like I can endure. He says, in your struggle against sin. You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, but here's what he wants to say. But don't forget this, or have you not forgotten the exhortation that he addresses you as sons, meaning he's pulling you and I into a deep place with him. And here's what he says. My son, do not lightly, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. All right. This is an interesting text here. Uh, verse 7. It is for discipline that you and I have to or called to endure. Now, uh, if you read that, that should bring up a whole bunch of questions. I mean, it brings up some questions. It is for discipline that we have to endure. Uh, if, you, if you're reading, at least I have to step back from that for a moment and go, okay, 
tell me about this discipline that you're, it is for discipline that we have to endure. Okay, so there's this connection of our enduring and the loving discipline of the Father. So I wanna just take a moment and ask and talk about purpose in our pain. Because uh, sometimes, as we we said, sometimes life is painful. But there's a couple of reasons that life is painful, right? There are uh, those, uh, sometimes life is painful and difficult uh, because we've made poor decisions. Anyone been there? Don't raise your hand, right? Anybody ever been there in life because you made some poor, so life is hard because you made some bad decisions, right? And then we have to come and navigate the challenges of having made some bad decisions, Right? If, you've smoked, if you're a chain smoker for 30 years and you have some medical issues with your lungs, um, it's not, it, w- it doesn't make sense to be angry with God in that moment, right? When you have that hardship or that thing happen in your body. But you, you've been, I mean, like they put it on the package, right? Don't, this is gonna be bad for you if you do this. I mean, that's just for clarity. But that's, but that's the kind of thing. So there's that experience of hardship and pain. That's not, and that, by the way, that doesn't, uh, for those of you that have ever lost someone with, uh, because they smoked or they gave themselves over, that's hard. It's, it's actually not really, you feel the weight of that. It's hard, it's painful. But sometimes, sometimes pain comes from those decisions, right? If you're constantly flying off in a rage of anger in your home, then, then it would stand that your marriage or your, your relationship with your children is gonna be really tough, there are some of those things that are, uh, if you will, cause and effect that bring hardship. So there is that. That does exist in our lives. And we've all been a part of that, making poor choices and going, hey, the, uh, what you might, the scripture might call consequences or something that we have to step into or a challenge that we have to navigate because we've gone a different way than the heart of God for our lives. But sometimes we experience difficulty because we had a different expectation for how things were supposed to be. We had a hope, we had a desire, and then something out of nowhere floored you. And I think we've all experienced that before. We were hoping for something and all of a sudden it wasn't. And it was painful. And part of the hardship was certainly the, the, the painful circumstance of the difficult thing that happened, but maybe even the harder part of it was the hope or expectation for something else being all of a sudden crushed. And we have to actually emotionally begin to deal with what's actually happening there. You had a hope for things to work out or to be fixed or to be settled, or maybe a hope for comfort or something to be light and easy. And part of the pain was actually dealing with the fact that something, it wasn't that way all of a sudden. And you had an expectation. And what the scripture is saying here is that there is in all of that, even on the thing that comes out of nowhere, a plan and a purpose and a design in it all. And through it, God is planning our good through the hardship. And what the scripture is going to say here, and this is a challenging thing, but what he's going to say is, God's taking the hardships of our lives to use it to train us and to develop us and to lead us into a deep, deep place with him. In fact, Hebrews 12 says this, for the moment, verse 11, for the moment, all discipline 
seems painful rather than pleasant. Can we agree with that? All the kids are like, amen, brother, preach. <laughs> but we, we feel that as adults too. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Trained. Uh, have you, any of you guys ever played on a, like played on a sports team growing up? You guys played on a sports team group? You got to struggle together, right? You have to practice and uh, you've got to strive and work and train and you got to, um, you guys that lift weights, you lift weights, right? And you have to do things. Sometimes it's a slog, right? Sometimes it hurts. Actually, you guys that do lift weights, what's actually happening when, when you start to lift weights? You're tearing your muscles down, actually making it weaker, right? And you know that because you start throwing that bar up and you're like killing it. And then like by rep number eight, you're like, eh, help, right? <laughs> you know? What'd you just do? You made yourself weaker in order to be stronger. We've all experienced that in some way. There's this training that's happening. And in the moment, it feels like it's pulling you down. And what's actually happening is it's setting you up for the future. It's setting you up for days ahead. It's building something that's going to bring you towards life, towards glory. That's who our Father is in heaven. That's when it talks about our good Father who gives discipline. He goes, I'm going to use every ounce of hurt, disappointment, pain. Even some of the things that you've done, uh, the, even the things that we did willingly and knowingly that hurt us, I'm gonna take all of that, I'm gonna use it, and I wanna train you for beauty, for glory, and for righteousness. Now, I want to just really quick deal with the word discipline, okay? I want to deal with this word discipline uh, because, hear this, God's discipline is never punishment, period. God's discipline is never punishment. When we hear discipline, you might hear uh, punishment. God's discipline is never punishment. Why? Because Jesus took all our punishment already, all right? Hear this. If you are in Christ, all of your punishment has been applied to the Son of God so that when we come to the Father, we're no longer being punished. Jesus was punished for our brokenness, our sin. So when we say discipline, what is he doing? What is he accomplishing? What is he actually moving us toward? God's discipline is the loving tender training of a father for our good, verse 10, to produce a holiness, to produce something alive in us, to give us his deep peace, verse 11, and to begin to do an authentic work of transformation in our lives from his righteousness. So what he's saying is, I'll use all, I'm purposefully using all the things, all of the hardships, all of the uphill battles, all of the struggle, all of the tearing down of the muscle, all of the, all of the pain points to pull your heart up, to be able to see me 
and to walk with me and to experience the fullness that I have for you, to get you to the end for which I have made you, the end purpose, the end goal. That's where he's leading us. Because the question would be typically this. I don't know if you've ever thought like, why doesn't God just stop the hardship? Have you ever thought that? Why didn't he just... If you read the chapter before, if you were with us last week, you read the chapter before and it's saying some lost their lives and some were killed by the sword and some were sawn in two. And it goes through this list and you go, God, why? Have you ever asked that? Do you ever wondered like, why don't you just make that go like, what? why? Why didn't he just stop the hardship? That's the question. We should be asking. If you're not asking that, you just gloss. Don't read through the Bible and just gloss over. Ask the question because he has some, something really beautiful to say. And the first thing he's going to say this, God does stop the hardship. Hear this. God does and he always will stop the hardship. It's just not a guarantee that it's going to stop today. God will forever stop all hardship, right? All the pain, all the hardship forever. He absolutely 110% will stop all of the pain that we walk through. It may linger for today, right? We may toil and labor here for a bit, for a moment. We may shed some deep, real, and authentic tears from our pain today, but they are, hear this, they're for an hour. He does not turn his face from our tears. They're for an hour. But he wants to open his arms and say, I will vindicate you and I will make all things right guaranteed forever. Not one injustice will go unseen. That's what they were experiencing, weren't they, in this letter? Some pretty hard injustices. Those that had lost their lives, it was not just. It It was not just. And what the father's saying is, there's not an injustice in this life that I don't use to bring you all the way to the end. I'm with you through it fully, all of it. And here's what he's going to say. I'll use this pain to train your heart to experience more goodness and more faith and more peace even in and through the pain, you'll have that. That's my promise to you. That's the promise of the Father. God takes the pain and the injustices in our lives and says, I'll give deep meaning and purpose to them. And I'm bringing your heart nearer to me. And here is the fundamental and core question. Do we trust him? Do we trust him? Do we trust him? It's really simple. And I think actually that's what the author is trying to, this pastor is trying to say to this group of people who are going through it and have had hardships come against them. They've had their own sin coming up like to to strangle them by the neck. And they're trying to navigate this moment. And they're trying to understand. He says, hey, you need to understand Every part of this injustice, by the way, where does injustice come from? All injustice comes from sin. 
All injustice comes from sin. It says, there's no injustice or there's no place of sin. There's no thing that is broken in this world that I won't use to bring you into fullness. That's my promise for you. But do you trust me to take you all the way to the end? Do you trust me? That's the question we get to ask. We've gotten to share before. Um, it was 2008, and Megan and I are sitting in the doctor's office, weeping because we had learned uh, that she was carrying twins and one had died. And I was asking her about this because I was trying to think, hey, is there another story I could tell? Um, but I can't think of a more painful moment. And uh, we were there in that place and uh, I don't think there's many more things that are more painful than when you, uh, you lose a child, whether it's in the womb or on the outside of the womb, either way. And it's injustice. It's unjust, right? And there's this tendency to want to go like, God, why? If you're so good, how could that happen? We want to blame God. And so after you get through the tears part, you get to just come and ask that question. You get to catch your breath and just go, okay, why? And you ultimately have to come to this point in your life where you have to ask the question, uh, in this tragedy, is it something that God can or can't fix? God either can or he can't. Is he powerful enough to fix that or not? And if he is, and he doesn't choose to fix it in that moment, then what is he doing? What is he actually accomplishing? Do I believe that God could have made that baby well and whole and live? You bet. Or otherwise, who are we singing to? Who are we praying to? Who are we worshiping? If God couldn't have done that, he absolutely could have. But there's another reality, and here's what the Lord's asking us to open our hearts to. Is it possible that God had a deeper, richer, better plan than giving us that child? And the question we have to come to is, do you believe he, he's good and that his plan is better? That's what we're confronted with. And do I believe, do we believe that God saw that sweet twin and had even better richer, fuller, sweeter plans than we could have ever made up for ourselves. That's what we're confronted with when we go through pain. And here's the answer that I'll say to you. Yes. There's a better plan. And the question is, do we trust him? And I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know all the whys. In fact, I think why can be a kind of an accusing question. It's not usually helpful. If you've ever been in a fight with your spouse, usually asking why doesn't get you anywhere on it, right? 
We can ask God why all the time. Can I just be honest? I don't know all the why. I don't know all the why. It's really helpful for the pastor to say, I don't know. I don't know all the why. But I do know this, that in that moment, in that hour, our hearts longed for heaven in a way that we had never longed for before, ever. We just hungered for heaven. We have another child in heaven that we get to meet and party with and celebrate. I don't know how it works in heaven. Like if you get to do all the birthdays successively, like back to back to back, I don't know what you get to do. I don't know how that works. All I just know is there's so much celebrating to come. And the question is this, well, Keith, are you saying that that moment in your life, was that the Lord's discipline? The answer is this, the Lord used that moment deeply to train our hearts to trust him more, period. But you don't like the word discipline because it's associated with punishment, then don't use it. When I say this, the scripture says the Lord wants to use these moments to train us, to get us to the end. And our family's going to the end. We're gonna be there. My wife has an incredible testimony. Sometime we'll have her up here and let her share all that what God said and did through that, more than what we could fit in this moment. But that's the question that every one of us has to come to now. When you have experienced pain, do you trust and believe? And will your heart be trained by the pain? Because we have a good father. Do you believe he's a good father? Do you believe he's for you? Do you believe he's working for your good? Do you believe he's angling every hardship and pain to get you all the way to the end, to see Jesus high and lifted up, to melt before him, and to party with those that came around you, your family, your spiritual family? Do you believe that? Because if you don't, what gospel are you giving yourself to? What good news is there? God makes good news out of every pain. Hear that? Do you hear that, church? And do you believe him? Can we believe him? You guys stand. We're going to finish. We're just going to finish here. Would you just, if you'll be willing, just maybe open your hands. You don't have to do that. But if it's helpful for you, And will you just ask the Lord this? Lord, will you train my heart to trust you more today? Will you train me? I don't understand it all. I don't understand it all. But I know that you're good. Will you ask him, whatever you're facing right now, whatever pain or hardship, if you're facing something, will you just ask him, Lord, would you help me hunger for heaven more than I ever have right now? I give you this pain. Would you just offer it to him? Here's my hardship. Here's my failures. Here's my struggle. The thing that's coming up in me, the thing that's coming against me from the outside, I just give it to you. Will you train my heart? Will you help me hunger for heaven and your goodness?
And even now, would you just say, Lord, help me trust you more now. In fact, I think a better prayer is, Lord, would you put your trust for you in me? Just do it. Help us trust you. Lord, I pray that you would make us a church or a people that trust you no matter what comes. We love and treasure your discipline, your training of our lives. You're working for our good. And we will meet you face to face in that moment and see the purity and the beauty of what you've built in our lives. And we thank you for that. We're here for you. Uh, as I dismiss, we're going to have a few prayer partners who are just ready to pray with you. The Lord's doing something in your world. We love, we're a praying church. We want to connect with you. So we'll be available just to pray and just ask God to come move in our lives. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, who is our Savior, is King of our lives, we pray. Amen. Amen. Blessings, guys. We'll see you next week. Prayer partners will be down front.